in our series this morning in the book of Colossians chapter 2, uh, first things first. And so, uh, real quick, I need 10 youth to come up here. Let's see if they know how to count. Seven, eight, nine. One more. One more. Emma's like, I am a youth. Y'all line up for me across the front. Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, shoulder to shoulder. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Here we go, here we go. All right, so here we have 10 of our brightest, you know, grow up in church, love Jesus youth, right? What if I told you that before they graduated college, that seven out of 10 of them would leave the faith? Seven of you sit down. Not, uh, just write down, write down, straight down, straight down. Let's see if they can count. All right. What if I were to tell you that seven of them, before they graduated college, would leave the faith, would no longer come to church, would no longer claim to be Christians? They would say they would be agnostic or atheist or something else. That only three of them would remain. What would that change about how we did church? What would that change about how, how we thought, how we taught them? Would that change us? Is this statistic true? In his book, John Nielsen's book, Faith at Last, he tells us, after years of study, that this is pretty true. That seven out of ten of our kids will no longer be Christians when they're grown up. You guys can be seated. Thanks. It's not just our youth, but notice and think about how many people you grew up with or have been in this church or in other churches who are not going anymore who have no longer attending or have fallen away for whatever reason. We can't allow this to happen. We can't sit idly by and allow our family, our friends, our children to walk away from the Lord that we cherish so dear and we know is so good and so true. A pastor friend of mine shared a story with me about when he was uh, going to, uh, right after Hurricane Katrina and he went to New Orleans to kind of help out right after the hurricane. And he said that one of the things that was really interesting to him was how all the trees were gone. He said he just noticed how all the trees, like, they weren't like just falling over. They were gone, right? They had been sucked up, blown down, and, and sucked away by the water. And so he said that was really fascinating to him. And what was even more fascinating to him was when they got to the place they were going that there was one tree still standing. All the other ones are gone. But there's this one tree, this giant oak tree that was unmoved, that was standing, that had deep roots and wasn't going anywhere, no matter what hurricane or what flood came after it. Verse 6 and 7 in our text this morning says, As you've received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up. Rooted and built up. You see, if we're going to be a church and if we're going to be a people who when the storms of life come after us are so deeply rooted in Christ that the storms may shake us, we may sway a little bit, but they will never knock us over, then we must continue, every one of us in this room must continue to dig deep roots. We must water and grow deep roots into Christ. Our text this morning shows us three roots that we must continue to nurture and water so that they will grow deeper and deeper and deeper so that we don't walk away from the Lord. We sang Come Thou Fount this morning, one of my favorite hymns, and it has this wonderful line, 
prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Did you know that the pastor, me, I would walk away from Jesus. I would leave the faith were, were it not for his grace. And so his grace keeps me. I am prone to wonder, prone to leave him. And just like me, we all need to grow deep roots. So three things this morning. First, we must be rooted in love. We must, uh, first, if we're going to be a people in a church who don't become a statistic, who bend but never break, and if we're going to reach our full potential in Christ, we must be rooted in love. Verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Did you know that Paul, the guy who was writing this letter, had never been to this church he had never been to the Colossian church, never been to Colossae. He had never met these people. He doesn't know who they are. He knows Epaphras, the one guy who he sent to go plant this church, but he doesn't know any of the rest of them. And did you know that Paul was writing this letter from prison? Paul is in chains, in prison, awaiting a death sentence, writing this letter. And it's amazing to me that Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter, and his concern, his concern is not for himself. His concern is not for his own safety or his own needs. His concern is for his brothers and his sisters in Christ, and whom he has never met. See, Paul loved these people, and it didn't matter that he had never met them. It didn't matter what his own circumstances were. This was his family those who were in Christ were his family, and he loved them. And notice verse 2 when he says that he writes that, in, that their hearts may be encouraged. Because Paul loved these people, he had concern for them, he wanted to encourage them. And you all know what it's like to be encouraged, right? There is something about being encouraged that can, t- that can turn your day around, right? You can just have a bad day, you have a bad week, things are not going well or whatever. Someone can come and encourage you, lift you up, and it just changes everything. Their words literally change everything that's going on in your life. There's just some people that have that gift, you know? Some people just wake up in the morning like, man, who can I encourage today? And they're just like seeking people out. And they're just gifted with that. And thank the Lord for those people. Some of you are those people, right? And we need that because too often life and people tear us down beat us down, we get discouraged, we feel unwanted, we feel unloved, we feel unwelcomed, we feel underappreciated, and we need to be encouraged. You remember that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That is a lie from the pit of hell. Right, we say that when a bully comes at you, right, says something mean to you, you say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Really, it should say sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can destroy my very soul. See, words are powerful things. They tear down and they build up. And Paul's love for the church led him to want to encourage his brothers and sisters, even though his circumstances were incredibly difficult. And then he says in verse 2, continuing, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together. You know, one of the things I do not understand is how people like knit and quilt and crochet and all, all those things, right? Like, like I can tie a knot. 
But like Kate, my wife right now, she is, I don't know if it's crocheting or sewing, but she's taking sticks and yarn, and somehow she's making a blanket that changes shapes and sizes, and then putting other parts on it. And I'm like, I don't have a, I have a clue how this works. But if I were to go to that blanket she's making right now and begin to pull on it, would put a foot on it and pull it, it wouldn't break. It would hold together. All of the different fabrics that are woven together would hold themselves together. Like the Bible says when it says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, Paul is showing us in this text a picture of what the church is supposed to be, what we are supposed to be. The church is not a worship service. This church is not about Bible study. It's not a social club. It's not a self-help group. This church is a new and forever family. We are a family that is to be knitted together in love, holding one another up. And so when one of us slips, the other picks up the weight. When one of us stumbles, the rest come and pick them up and say, let's go, we got you. We are a family that corrects one another lovingly, that walks beside one another. We are a family. The Bible says that the world would know us by our love for each other. That the world, those outside, would love us not by just our love generically, but how we love each other. How we love each other in this room. How you love the person to your left and right right now. How you love the person that, that kind of gets on your nerves on the other side of the church. The world will know you by how you love them. You see, these people who are in Christ, whether they are in this church or in a church somewhere over in Uganda, are your family. And hear me say this, those who are in Christ are more your family than your blood. You see, for those who are your blood, they may die. Well, they will die. We all, I don't know if you'll know this, but we all die. And they may or may not spend eternity with you, but those in Christ will. Those who are in Christ with you will be your forever family. And they are more your family than your blood. See, we're a new family knitted together and marked by love for each other. But sadly, this isn't always the case. Churches can often be places full of people tearing each other down. Many of you maybe have experienced being in a church where you left because uh, someone said something and hurt you, the church hurts you. Maybe you've been to the same business meetings I've been to that you would have thought, oh, Bobby over there was the most godly man you ever met until we started talking about changing the music and then he eviscerated whoever. Maybe you've been in a church and been hurt before. But guys, hear me, we cannot be that. Paul is telling us that we have to be knitted together in love even when we disagree, even when we, our preferences are different, even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, it is not our task to go and dress someone else down. It is not our call to go and, and, and to beat others up. It is our call to lift them up, to encourage them, to bear them up in love. That doesn't mean we don't say hard things like we say the truth in love. We say it in love. Guys, it is our job to be knitted together. We are a family. And the reason all of this matters the reason it matters that we have to be marked by love, that we encourage one another, that we have concern for others more than ourselves is because of verse 2 ends. To reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ. Do you know why it matters that you love people in this church? Because when you encourage them and when you love them, the love of God becomes real to them. 
It is hard for us sometimes to imagine a God who could love us because we're screwed up. But when someone in this church loves you well, the love of God becomes real to you. You feel it. And the love of God in the gospel gets, grows deeper roots in your heart. You know this to be true. Because when someone has gone out of their way to love you well, it warms your heart. And whether you realize it or not, it is a picture and it is showing you the way God loves you. And it takes the gospel a little deeper in your heart. You see, the love that you show someone else who's a brother or sister in Christ, might just be the thing that keeps them from walking away, keeps them from being one of the seven who will leave the faith. The love that you show, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, might be the thing that keeps them rooted and grounded in the faith. You see, you have no control over how others love you, but you do have control over how you love others. And your love will begin to build a culture here in this place where we are knit together in love. And as long as we stand together, no storm that the world throws at us will ever knock us down. But the second thing we've got to see, not only do we have to be rooted in love, but we must be rooted in knowledge. Verse 4 says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Do you know how uh, Little Miami football team recruits its football players? Let me tell you what they don't do. They don't put out a flyer and go, hey, guys, we're going to have an ice cream social. Everybody, come on. And when they get there, it's like nothing about football, right? We're all having ice cream. It's a good time. And then toward the end, the coach gets up and says, hey, just want to give you guys five reasons of why you should join the football team. One, you're going to make great friends. Two, it's going to be worth it. You're going to be a team. Three, we're going to win. That's not what they do. What do they do? They say, hey, you should come join the football team. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. It's going to hurt. You might get injured, and you're not guaranteed to play. But if you think you can hack it, come on. That's how, hey, they're not trying to sugarcoat it. But isn't it interesting that so often in the church that we do the former? We have an ice cream social, and it's just all fun and games. And then at the end, we want to kind of surprise them with Jesus. Oh, yeah, come on and believe. Just come have fun with us, and then at the end, oh, and, and Jesus. What if, we, what if we did it the other way? What if we said, kind of like Jesus said, you want to follow me? Come and die. When the big crowds came around Jesus in John 6, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they were like, I'm good. And the disciples were like, why, why did you say that? You ran them all off. Because Jesus is saying, it's not, it's not easy. You want to be a part of me? You want to follow me? You must come and suffer. You must come and lay down your life. You must come and die. And in so doing, we'll find life. Come and die so that you might live. See, the call to follow Jesus is not a simple task. If we win people with the truth, they will grow deep roots. But you know the old saying, you keep them with what you win them with. You keep them with what you win them with. And so if we win people with fun and games and ice cream socials, then when the fun and games run dry, they will leave. 
but if we would win them with the deep truths of the scriptures, the deep truths of the gospel, the deep truths of God's word, then when the storms come, they will not be so easily blown over. Do you know why seven out of ten leave the faith? Because when they did not develop deep roots in Christ and the storms came, they were uprooted. And so when they went to college and the professors mocked their Christianity because of science, as if God was not the inventor of science, when they could not account for a world full of suffering and evil and did not know how to think about a good and loving God and yet evil existing, or when their friends mocked them for being old-fashioned and saying, don't you know it's 2018? Why do you hold to all those old things? It's easy to walk away from Jesus when your roots are barely beneath the surface. And so what do we do? Verse 7 ends and he says, "How are you are established in the faith just as you were taught. How do we help our children and our friends develop deep roots in Christ? Not only must we be rooted in love, we must teach them. We must be rooted in knowledge. These believers at Colossae were established in the faith because someone taught them. Someone equipped them. Someone taught them the deep things of God. You see, if we're going to have deep roots in Christ, we must grow in knowledge. When you first meet someone that you like, when you first met your spouse, you wanted to know everything about them, right? I, I remember in college when I met my wife, like I hunted her down. I figured out her class schedule, and I, was just, I just happened to be hanging out outside of the class when she'd get out. You know, I was like, oh, fancy seeing you here, you know what I'm saying? And, and what do you begin to do? You try to figure out what movies they like, what colors they like, what their interests are, what makes them laugh. You do all this research because you love them, you want to know more about them. And the more you know about them, the more you love them. Because you see, I love my wife more today than the day I married her. Not because she's changed all that much, but because I know more about her. I know about how long-suffering she is when I'm an idiot. Amen, men? The wives are amen I know how patient she is with me. I know how kind she is. I know how compassionate she is. I know how she is with our children. And because of all of that, because of that knowledge, I love her more today than I did. And the same is true with God. And doesn't he tell us that in the greatest commandment? You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. To love God is not just a, an emotional feeling that you must have toward him, but you must love him with your mind. You must love him truly as he is. Not just in who you want him to be or who you think that he is. You must love him as he actually is. And the only way that you can know who he actually is is to grow in knowledge. To grow in your understanding. Do you want to be deeply rooted in Christ and ask the question, are you watering the roots of your knowledge of God? Are you growing in your understanding? If you're not, Right, if, you're, if, you're, if you're all about the love part, but you're not really growing in knowledge, let me just give you one practical step that's super simple and maybe obvious. And maybe you've been resisting it, or maybe you don't like to wake up early. But get in a Sunday school class. Get in a small group. Where at some point, we're going to launch home groups. Get in a home group. Come on Wednesday night. Find someone who can teach the scriptures to you. So you can be rooted in knowledge so that when the storms of life come, you will not be so easily uprooted. And third, 
It must be rooted in obedience. Notice verse 6. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Do you know what it means to follow Jesus and to be his disciple? Do you know what the word disciple means? A disciple is anyone who had a teacher that they followed. I mean, literally followed everywhere. Wherever they went, they followed this guy, learned everything that this guy had, had known, and did everything that he did. So that when this guy got old and retired or whatever, they were able to take his place. They were able to go and do exactly what this guy did. A disciple was someone who had a teacher and imitated their life after their teacher. Followed them exactly. And so if we're disciples of Jesus, we must be like him. To be a disciple of Jesus is to become like him. Y'all remember those WWJD bracelets back in the day? It was funny when you, you would wear one because what often happened was they would be used against you. Right, you would be, you go shotgun and go get in, and then your sibling would be like, what would Jesus do? <laughs> and then you'd feel guilty and you'd give him the seat, or you'd say, well, whatever, and not do it. But it would often be used against you, right? But what, what would it look like in our lives if we actually asked that question in every situation, in every area of our lives, what would Jesus do here? How can I become more like him here or there? What would he do? Because to be a disciple of Jesus is to do what he did. Not in some areas of your life. Not in the easy areas, in every area. But let's be really honest about that. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's hard, and let's be honest, sometimes we just don't want to do it. Sometimes we know what Jesus would ask of us, and we just don't want to do it. Our heart's not in it. We just don't want to do it. We know what we should do, but we don't do it, right? And so what do we do in that situation? When we, there's a part of us that wants to follow him, but we don't do it. It's too hard. And our heart and our desires are disconnected. Our hands and our desires are disconnected. So what do we do when we have zero desire to actually follow Jesus? I want to give you two simple things. The first, just do it. Nike, man, just do it. When your heart is not in it, when you're not feeling it, when you have no desire to do it, but you know you should, sometimes you just have to be obedient. And you look at me and you say, Brent, that's not helpful. But let me tell you why it is helpful. Because what you will often find is that when you don't feel it, but you do it anyway, your heart catches up. Test it. Let me give you an example. When you, when you don't want to be generous with your time or your money or your stuff, and you just... No, you should, and so you do it. Begrudgingly do it. What happens is your heart catches up, and you feel good about it. Right? And then you kind of get on board, like, yeah. And then you slowly become a generous person. And so when you know what God would require of you, when you know what Jesus would demand of you, and you don't want to do it, just do it anyway, and let your heart catch up. Your heart will catch up with your hands. But the second thing, Verse 6 said, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you receive the Lord, so walk in him. So you walk in him in the same way that you received him. Well, how did you receive the Lord? Did you receive the Lord by being a good person? No, you did not. Did you receive the Lord by being a holy person? No, you did not. Did you receive the Lord by attending church? No, you did not. You received the Lord by grace. And how do you walk in him now? You walk in him now by grace. You received him by grace, and you walk with him by grace. 
It is not in your power to follow him because you will stumble, you will fall, you will want to quit, your heart won't be in it. And yet no matter what, God is not going to run out of grace for you. Even when you want to quit, even when you want to slow down, even when you want to stop, there is still grace. Lewin, our youngest son, our youngest child, who's our only son, is finally walking. And he was walking much later than our, our girls walked. And we're just like, dude, what are you doing? Get up and walk, right? But what we were never, we were never frustrated with him. We we're never angry at him, but we kept helping him. Come on, buddy, you can do it. Come on, take a step. Come on, man, you got it, you got it. And now that he's finally walking, we cheer him on. And God is the same way with you. In the same way, when God's grace, in his grace, you take a step and follow after Jesus in obedience, your father is thrilled. He is not upset saying, what, took you long enough. He's not disappointed. But that old popular hymn is true when it says, "'Twas grace that brought us safe this far, and grace will lead us home. We don't walk in our own power. We do not follow Jesus in our own power. We do not follow him in our own righteousness or holiness or goodness. We follow him by grace. By grace. You see, if you want to grow deep roots in Christ, then obey him. Obey him even when you don't feel it. Because he is good and he loves you and he has called and asked things of you for a reason. Trust him even when it's hard and your heart will catch up. Three ways to grow deeper roots in Christ. To be rooted in love, to be rooted in knowledge, to be rooted in obedience. And there may be some of you in this room this morning, and your growth in Christ, if you were honest, if you, as you evaluate yourself, your growth is stunted. Like you get this root over here that's really long, and you got this little stubby little twig of root, kind of root over here. You're like in the love care, you're, like, you're the encourager, right? You were who I'm talking about earlier. And you just encourage people and love people, and you got this big old deep root over here. But in the knowledge area, you just could care less. You skip Sunday school, you skip Bible study, you don't do those things. And you got this little big twig of root over here. This is, you got to water this one. And every one of us in this room are like that. We've got certain areas that we're good in and certain areas we need to grow in. And we need to water all three of these. There's some of you that just go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. You get it. You've got knowledge. You can talk about this, that, and the third. You can talk about it all. But, man, you don't love people worth nothing. And maybe you need to start loving people like Jesus loves you. You see, a general rule about trees is that the amount of branches that they have above and the amount of leaves that they have above is replicated in its root system. The bigger the tree and the bigger the branches and the bigger the leaves, the bigger the roots. The wider the limbs, the wider the roots. And so a giant tree has lots of branches and has deep, deep, widespread roots. And the deeper our roots, the stronger we will be. So that when the storms come, we may sway, but we won't fall. And when we have deeper roots, we will be those who have greater shade, produce greater fruit and beauty that we provide. You see, here's what God is doing in you. Have you ever seen the statue of David, that old famous that Greek statue of David? I think, I think, I think it was Michelangelo who, who carved that. And he said... When he was asked, how did you do this? How did you make this beautiful statue of David? He said, I just removed everything that wasn't him. 
And God is doing the same thing to you. He is removing from you everything that doesn't look like Jesus so that you can be built up in him and have deep roots. And so church, my job is to see you come to full maturity in Christ, to reach your full potential in Christ. And so let's love really well. Let's love each other better than, than anyone else. So the world would look at us and go, man, them people are weird the way they love each other so much. Let's learn a lot about our Savior because we want to learn about those we love. And let's follow him even when it's difficult. If you're here this morning and this doesn't apply to you because you don't know him, because you're far from Jesus, because you thought you could be good enough or you thought church would do it for you, I want to encourage you this morning to come throw yourself at his mercy because he will love you like you've never been loved. He will forgive you. He will care for you. Wherever you're at this morning, I want to invite you to, to I would love to pray with you. I'd love to have you come pray up here or pray with one of our deacons. Or maybe just stand there and sing this song with all of your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Pray that you, in this time, would work in our hearts, that you would call us to respond to your gospel, to this word. Maybe there are some in this room who need to respond in faith for the first time. They need to lay their lives at your feet and say, I want to come and die that I might find life. Maybe there's some in this room who know that they are, their growth in Christ is stunted because they have focused so much in one area but have neglected the others. God, would you give them the courage to water those other roots and begin to grow? God, there's some in this room right now that are struggling, who've got pain, who've got hurt in whatever area in their life, and just pray this morning that you would show them you love them more than you could ever imagine. God, be with us this morning and this evening. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and choose every power that you choose. 
church and I just want to make a commercial for Bible study on Sunday morning it's where you get to know your church family it's where you get to know the people that are not like you but you love them you hurt for them when they hurt you love them when they're not so loving and God when you think of what God did for me a that's the least we can do is love on each other. And I've been here October the 1st or 2nd, 31 years. And I found in a life support group, and I've called that many times in our class, but they are my life support. They bring me up when I'm down. They can get up when I'm down. They know when I'm happy, they know when I'm sad. And that's how you get to know one another. You can't get, know one another coming in filling a green chair you have to get involved with people I get involved with people at the grocery store that I never did before I see them and I make a conversation with them 
the cashiers when they're grumpy. Look at them like maybe they put in 10 hours fighting with all of us. Well, they're sure taking a long time. You know, remember what they're going through. And I just love this church. I love Pastor Brent. I love the ladies in the class. And I challenge you, if you're not in a Bible study, find one. Because it will improve. It will help you get through your trials and tribulations of life. They pick up on when you're down. And that's what it's all about. God wants to love on you. And we loved on the little girl that came in our Sunday school this morning. She ate her donut, and she was happy with us old ladies. <laughs> so thank you. just want to say to you this morning, if you're our guest, so honored that you joined us this morning. We'd love to get to know you. We would love to get to know you. We have a gift for you, uh, if you would. Uh, when you leave through this back door at the welcome desk, we have a gift for you. I'm going to be back there. We'd love to get to, to get to know who you are. Won't bother you too much, but we'd love to say hey to you. Um, remember Chunk or Treat. Remember Chili, Chili, Chili. All right? We can eat. All right? Uh, also remember Thanksgiving. Feast is coming up. Uh, you can register online for that. It's on our app. It's on our website. Uh, and there will be a Facebook event coming soon where you can link and register what you're going to bring. I'm told there's a lot of food. It's the word on the street. So, excited about that. Let me dismiss you with the benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Go in peace.